Hi there, and welcome to the Pray Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I get to be here with Brian and Jennifer Harvey, and we get to talk about their book, uh, Operation Thriving Marriage, a field manual for maximum performance and preventative maintenance. And I'm very excited about this. They have a really unique perspective on marriage. And the book is just laid out in such a great way to be a, a wonderful resource for um, for married couples and for those looking to uh, looking to get married. So Brian and Jennifer, thank you for coming on the podcast today to talk to us about talk with us about your book. Well, thank you so much for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah. Well, before we get into talking about you guys and what you do and your book, um, I, I wanted to ask, we like to ask all of our guests what your favorite prayer closet is. Where do you each like to go to feel close to God and to pray? Well, it's actually right behind us because there's a specific chair that's in our living room where um, when I get up uh, first thing, uh, I'm grabbing coffee and a little bit of breakfast. And that's where I delve into Bible study and prayer to get me started up uh, in the morning. Yeah, I have a favorite me, chair too. Oh, you understand. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. Oh, no, no, fine. You guys keep talking. Now. For me, it's my motorcycle. For me, I like to get out on the bike and just get off the road, get on the two lanes out away from the town and out in the country and just feel the wind. And that's when I can kind of focus and all of the other stuff just kind of washes away and can really pay attention to what God's saying. I love it. You're the first person on the podcast to have motorcycle as your prayer closet. I love it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is good. But I could totally see that because you're kind of, it's kind of like, almost like you're encapsulated, you know, it's not even like the car where you've got other things around and people and, you know, you've got it, you're just out there and, and you're kind of, kind of just you and God on the open road. I could see that being really very, very peaceful. It really is. It really is. It's yeah. great. Well, I want to, I, I want you all to tell us a little bit about your individual backgrounds and how they equipped you to write this book, because I just, I really loved the way you did this. And I love that God has just really uniquely equipped each of you in very different ways to be able to speak to marriages. And, and yeah, in addition to just being married yourself, you've got all of these different ways that God has equipped you through your backgrounds, through your employment. So can you guys tell us about what you do? Oh, certainly. Well, um, I'm an attorney and I have been for 18 years this year. And I, I've certainly seen a lot of things in, in families on the estate planning and probate side of things. And uh, I've also represented folks in different divorce cases uh, that are happening. So I, I think that sometimes you're going to, as a, as a client, be very open and honest about your marriage with your attorney. And that might even be giving information that you might not get started to go through a divorce process. Um, and we've, of course, seen some uh, marriages end it as well there. And of course, Brian and I have been, you know, active in, in the church uh, before we got married and uh, afterwards too. And, you know, you can certainly uh, fill, uh, fill her in on some other things about yourself. Absolutely. I had a 20-year uh, ministry career before we wrote the book. Spent time in youth ministry and family ministry and discipleship ministry. And that obviously gives you a unique perspective into marriages. I remember talking to a dad when I was a brand new youth pastor, not married, um, working with his daughters. And he starts sharing with me about what's going on in his marriage, feeling completely ill-equipped to talk to him. I, I, Jen and I were dating at the time, but 
we weren't married. We didn't have kids. And he's talking to me just because I was the youth pastor and he, I had a relationship with his daughters. I want to talk to you about my marriage and what's going on and what mm-hmm. thoughts do you have? And I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> oh no. Uh, but over time had many opportunities. People were willing to share with me about their marriages and we discussed things and then doing family ministry, a lot of stuff with singles and marrieds, um, working with them. And then on top of that, I've been in the Michigan Air National Guard it'll be 20 years this September. And for about six years of that, I spent that as a first sergeant. And the first sergeant in the Air Force is different from the other branches. And so you go out of your normal job to spend time focusing on helping airmen. 100% of what I did for that six years was taking care of airmen. I didn't care if planes launched. Um, if it didn't have a pulse, it wasn't my job. And really, when you're there as that senior enlisted leader, the airmen come to you to talk to you in ways they wouldn't talk to the chaplain or wouldn't talk to other friends because they see you as someone further down the road. But also, you have that military connection, which is really important for military and veterans. That's something that draws us together quite quickly and easily. But then also, um, you're one of the guys. You're not the chaplain. I had a friend who's chaplain who often said that sometimes the cross shows up before the chaplain. And that's mm-hmm. not always a good thing because then all of a sudden the airmen are on their best behavior. They're minding their P's and Q's like, oh, we got to behave ourselves. The chaplain's here. And they, they put up that front um, where with the first sergeant um, in the first sergeant's office, they're less likely to do that and really, okay, this is what's going on. This is what I need help with. And that allowed me to see a lot of things, good and bad, in marriages that helped us. Um, helped us write the book. I love that. I love when jobs that are not connected in, in any official way with the Bible or with God or with ministry are so ministry, you know, and both of you can attest to that, you know, your secular jobs have these paths, uh, you know, that these connections with people that God can use in such big ways. And, and like you said, Brian, sometimes maybe even in a different way that couldn't be reached with the cross on your, you know, around your neck, <laughs> you know, with the official uh, minister title, you know, it, it allows you these opportunities for God to use these places that he's put you for true ministry in a way that, um, that is unique. And I love that. Um, I also really, exactly it. And I I also really enjoyed in your introduction, you use this, what I would consider seldom referenced um, Bible verse. I had not, I don't know if I've even heard it before. Um, And it's Song of Solomon 215. And it says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards for our vineyard is in bloom. And talk about that. How does that verse, how is that so perfectly illustrating kind of what, what a message of, you know, one of the messages of this book is for you guys. Absolutely. It really started, that verse came to me. That's something my dad used to say about his marriage. When I was growing up, my dad would reference that verse. And the little foxes are the ones that are most damaging. It's those little problems that, oh, we'll overlook it. This is an important vow. These are the things, I mean, obvious problems, the big foxes, um, infidelity in marriage, um, mishandling funds, you know, um, just being wantonly irresponsible, um, abuse. Those are big things and in no way minimizing those things because those are huge, but those are obvious. Those are the things that you know you've got to deal with right away. Know that those things are going to be very destructive. 
The problem is there's a lot of little things that become problems that lead up to bigger things. And if you don't catch them early, they become bigger problems. And that's really where we were going with this book, what we've seen um, in our experience, both in ministry and in our careers, a lot of the things that become those major issues that are leading to a marriage falling apart, a marriage in really deep trouble, started three to five years into the marriage. It's these things that they were small issues then that never got addressed because at that time, oftentimes, and especially amongst um, Christians, married young, um, they're working on their career, children come along, and these become the focus. And so these small problems, like, well, we, won't, we don't need to worry about that. We'll worry about that later because we've got these other issues going on. Well, then 10 to 15 years later, now that issue that was never dealt with, that little box has destroyed this part of your marriage, destroyed this part of your vineyard. And now you've got to work on repairing that. And so if you catch those little problems, catch those little boxes early, and you catch them early when they're small. That's great. I just love that. That is, that's so, um, such wisdom. And, and it really is a great analogy. Um, and, and I hadn't heard it before. I think that's great. Um, so you, you know, who did you write this book for? Who, who would you say is your target audience for this book? Well, really and truly, we um, sat down and when we were talking about what we wanted to do in writing the book, we noticed that a lot of the marriage books that are out there are the, oh my goodness, this is, we're in crisis and we're about to get a divorce and we got to fix this. So what we wanted to do was write a book where we could really get in there and strengthen marriages. So even though we believe that the book and just in getting feedback from people that we know is really applicable across the board, we really wrote it for people who have been married maybe three to 10 years in, um, although a, a client of mine um, that I did some estate planning for a couple of months ago, he and his wife are in their 80s. They've been married 60 years. And he said, Jennifer, I'm learning new stuff. So I, oh. I think that that's a neat thing. And then also we have um, a pastor friend uh, who's in Northern Michigan, and uh, we had sent him a copy of our book. And he just said, you know, I started to read it and I was liking it. And then all of a sudden I started counseling this uh, couple for premarital counseling. So I gave them the copy of your book. So I think that that's going to help them as they prepare for things. So, you know, we, we just feel very... Uh, fortunate that we've had the experiences that we've had and we've just been able to synthesize them together for the book because we uh we know that god is in marriage and in situations where people feel like it's a hopeless situation or even somebody who's just saying i know that we can do better and be better together with god that is something that is achievable um, with god's help and um, with both partners submitted to the holy spirit and being led by the spirit and another aspect of that too, and I know this is praying Christian women, but we were really emphasis on making sure that we were knocking down barriers for men to read a book like this. A lot of the books you see when you go to the bookstore, look on Amazon, they're very feminine in their approach and the title in the cover design and things like that. And we wanted to make sure this was something that a couple would feel comfortable. A guy wouldn't feel embarrassed walking around with pretty pink flowers as he's reading this book. It was something that uh, husband and wife could read together and feel confident this was something that was going to be speaking to both of them, not just one person in the marriage. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm making a broad generalization, but I think probably when it comes to marriage self-help, I feel like maybe women are sometimes the initiators of that. Like we can be in so many things, you know, and, and that's just my thought. And 
what I like about this is that Operation Thriving Marriage has this kind of military theme to it. You carry that theme throughout some of the, the titles and the way that you, you know, engage in some of these topics, which I do think is, it, it's not a put off. It's, it's something that, that men could see and think, okay, you know, it, it would appeal to the, you know, a little bit more of a masculine approach to things. And I do think that that is really good. I, th I think it's something that, that as a woman, you would not feel if you are initiating this, which I hope not all women are, but if you are, if you are wanting to read a book, that's going to help your marriage, you wouldn't feel weird handing it off to your husband and saying, Hey, would you mind taking a look at this? <laughs> that's it. Yes, absolutely. So what do you think though, for the woman that's listening, who might be the initiator in, in all things spiritual, or who might even have a spouse that isn't a believer or a spouse that isn't interested in any way in pursuing any kind of marriage betterment or, or self-analysis, can she get something out of this? Would she be able to read this book and take things away that would make a difference, even if she's the only one making the effort? Oh, no doubt about it. I, I I think that that's something where anyone anyone whether it's the woman picking up or the or the husband picking it up would be able to take a look at it and and just say what can I do to better myself in um, being able to communicate um, best with my spouse or am I having some some struggles about just kind of the perspective of the marriage or do I have a wrong theology of marriage? How do I get better aligned with these kinds of things? And I think that that's a, a, a very uh, good thing to be able to do. But really and truly, um, if we're bringing both spouses into it, uh, that that's a really good thing to do so that they're able to connect up, get on the same page and, and be able to work on that together. But I think an initial um, read through or read through of some uh, chapters, just saying, you know, goodness, how, how is this going to fit into my marriage? And then just say, hey, I've been reading this book. Let, let's talk this through. Let's see uh, what we can do because uh, I, I married you. I love you so much. And I want this to be the best marriage that it can be for us, mutually speaking and in serving the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I do like, I, I just love the fact that the topics, even if you have an unbelieving spouse, these topics are applicable no matter what. It's, it's not something that you have to be a Christian to agree that, that these certain things are important things to discuss in a marriage. So it does make it very approachable in that way too. Um, although, uh, I, I, definitely, obviously the, the biblical and, and spiritual component are front and center. Um, what would you say, I, this is a hard question probably to answer and maybe unfair to ask, but would you say that you could pinpoint one of, or the biggest element that contributes to struggles in marriage based on the people that you've dealt with? Is there one that kind of rises to the top as a general theme that, that you're just like, yeah, this is, this is always something that comes up. Certainly, I, I would say really it comes down to really three misunderstandings. So I, I uh, maybe a difficult question, but let me flesh this out just a bit more because really what it comes down to is a misunderstanding of what your theology of marriage um, is and what marriage is and what it's about. And then also um, some misunderstandings or ideas about how the, the couples should be working and collaborating together. And that's something that we put forward as team marriage. 
And then the other thing about it too, that I think a lot of people will struggle with is what we refer to as the unexpectations. So a lot of times people will have expectations of certain things and maybe they haven't shared those with their spouse uh, or they're unshared, they're maybe unvoiced, they're not communicated, maybe they're going to be unreasonable. And um, those are things that uh, a lot of times if an expectation isn't fulfilled, that can lead to disappointment and that can lead to all kinds of problems in the marriage. Um, so I, I think that those are really those uh, three things. And um, just as far as uh, theology of marriage, I, I, I just, just want to see how you wanted to, to weigh in to talk about that one in particular. Yeah, really the theology of marriage, unfortunately, um, in the church world, there are a lot of sermons about what to do when married, um, about how, how to have a healthy marriage. Uh, in the youth ministry, it's really not talked about at all except for abstinence and until marriage. They really don't talk about well, what is marriage. A lot of people, unfortunately, get their theology, their definition of marriage from pop culture because that's the only thing that's talking about it and providing a definition for that. And I think there's a real problem amongst Christian marriages, and you see a lot of these struggles when Christian marriage is what God intended marriage to be. We get a lot of this um, from movies and television shows like, oh, marriage is supposed to make you happy and this, this happy, joyful experience, or it's an end to joy and it's just the suffering time that you have to put up with because that's what society says. And that's not what God says at all. Marriage isn't about happiness. It's about wholeness. God brought two people together. When you go back to the garden, you see it was not the only, the first time in the history of everything, the first time something was bad was when God said the man was alone. And part of creating women and bringing them together in that marriage was to make them more of who God intended to actually grow in Christ's likeness. When you look at a marriage as, oh, it's just a social contract or um, having children and maintaining finances in a, in a reasonable way, or you look at it as a relationship intended for my personal pleasure and my enjoyment, then when those things aren't happening, it makes sense that you should dissolve that relationship and find a new one. But when you look at it and say, no, marriage is intended by God to make you holy, then part of that is going through those tough times to learn how to be the person, the man or woman of God that God created you to be. And no one knows you better. No one is closer to you in the human world than your spouse and able to provide that and help build that for you and help you become that person God intends for you. And also, I think that in the marriage relationship, that is the, the closest sneak peek that we can get this side of heaven to the Trinity. Um, because it's two people, the man and the woman, becoming one couple, just like we have the, the three uh, three persons in one God in the Trinity. So it's a, it's a neat way to be able to reflect God to the world. Yeah. And that is so important. What you say about expectations and within that theology, because if you go into marriage expecting one thing and then, uh, and that's not met, of course, you're not going to be fulfilled or satisfied or, or, um, happy or joyful in any way. It's like, you know, it's kind of, it would feel like a bait and switch. And, you know, I think about if you're, if you're signing up for a marathon and you know, it's a marathon, you're going to pace yourself. You're going to expect, yeah, this is going to be hard work. It's going to be a long haul. And 
you're going to prepare for that mentally and, and you're going to expect the right things out of it. But if you, you know, sign up for a marathon thinking it's going to be a sprint and it's just going to be, you know, a real quick thing. And then you have the rest of the day free, you're, you're going to be like, what did I get myself into? Oh my goodness. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, that might be a bad example, but I just feel like when we understand really what it means. And I think of my own kids right now, you know, I have kids ranging in age from 15 down to seven and the things that they see on TV or social media or hear from friends or even see reflected in the people around them, you know, sometimes are not necessarily what the Bible lays out. And there's just such an urgency. I think when I think about that of, Oh, I need to make sure that they really understand that even at a very young age, like you said, youth ministry, you know, it needs to be talked about there to grow, like grow the, build these expectations on a biblical foundation so that it is, there is joy to be had there. And, and it's not self-serving and it's not self and, and me focused, but it's more of a, wow, how can, how can I experience this blessing of marriage in the way that God intended it? in a way that glorifies God in a way that does bring joy. It's not always going to bring happiness. It's not always going to bring, uh, it's not, it's not necessarily meant to bring, um, personal fulfillment all of the time, you know, it is a blessing and a gift, but, but yeah, anyway, I, I'm kind of rambling on here, but I just, I love what you said about that, about setting your expectations on theologically correct principles. It's important. And I think that to say that the, the Christian marriage should be the most um, fulfilling um, marriage that can be out there because right. the aim is the holiness. And I, I think that the hard thing is if, if you um, have or maybe haven't grown up in the church, just kind of depending on um, what the listeners' backgrounds are, sometimes it's just like, well, does that mean it's stuffy or does that mean it's not fun? And, and it's right. the complete opposite of that because we're becoming what God designed us to be. So of course, we're having a great time. We're experiencing joy and it's not all sunshine and roses all the time. But the great thing is you have God as that foundation, as that rock that you should be building your life on, that you should be building your marriage on. And then and um, from there, you have each other to support each other. And of course, as you two are growing closer to God, you've grown closer together too. And it's, it's just an amazing thing to, again, have that team marriage, uh, that idea of uh, growing together and being uh, together uh, no matter what. A speaker on marriage that we both respect, and we've heard a lot of his talks, is a guy named Jimmy Evans. And one of the things he says often is, marriage is the safest relationship you have here on the safest human relationship when it's done God's way. When you have a safe relationship, it is fun and fulfilling because you're not guarding. You're not trying to put up walls and you're not trying to protect yourself. Um, one of the reasons that things like fuel rides are so much fun is because it gives the illusion of something, but it's you know you're perfectly safe. If you thought for a moment on a roller coaster or a fuel ride that this thing might fail and I might die, the fun would be completely out of it. This is no longer fun. The illusion of, oh my gosh, I'm dug down. But this whole time, I know I'm perfectly safe. That makes it fun. And in marriage, it's the same way. When you know you're perfectly safe, that you can be 100% yourself and you can make mistakes and that's going to be okay and it's going to be forgiven and you're still going to be loved at the end of the day. That makes that relationship so strong and healthy. And that's how marriage is thrive. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I love that you, what you said there about, you know, marriage is supposed to be fulfilling and, and that we shouldn't have this, you know, you could go from one extreme of saying, of, of making it look like, well, well, love is only a decision, which yes, I mean, I do believe that, that love is more than an emotion, but you could say, you know, you could take that idea of, of making the decision to love someone even through difficult times as well. Marriage is supposed to be boring and this stoic mentality of, well, you just got to grin and bear it. (laughs) And that's not at all what God designed. Why would he even do that? Why would he, why, yeah, why would he even do that? So um, I do think it's important to understand that marriage is Christian marriage is not stuffy, that it's supposed to be fulfilling and joyful and exciting. But I like that safe description. I haven't heard that before. And I think that is, there is so much, um, you know, in, in the world today to have a relationship that is safe is um, so much, you know, it just, it means so much to achieve that. Um, so for each of you, what was your favorite chapter to write? You cover a lot of ground in this book, and I'm just wondering what your favorite chapter was. Oh, wow. I, I think that for, for me as, as an attorney, I really liked writing the chapter that dealt with the conflict resolution. And mm. as an attorney, I really like um, just the idea of being able to be uh, creative in that. Um, through uh, the state of Michigan where we live, I am a Supreme Court Administrative Office approved mediator. So I like to be able to just sit and talk with folks about resolving uh, conflicts and um, Sometimes, of course, you're dealing with conflicts where it's a dispute over something and people just kind of walk away and they never see each other again. But sometimes you are dealing with the longer term uh, relationships, such as like a a union and an automaker. They're going to be dealing with each other for years and years in the future. Um, So you need to make sure that uh, the disputes are going to be resolved in such a way where the the parties are going to get along and be able to come back to the table and trust each other and uh, get through some uh, other kinds of disputes. And that's certainly more of what that marriage relationship uh, would need to be um, because the the parties are going to, the husband and wife are going to be uh, together long-term and in being able to work things out uh, in in a a very positive way that is is going to really be at the satisfaction of uh, both parties. Um, There's a a judge and his uh, wife who's a corporate trainer and they're um, mentors of mine. Uh, He officiated our wedding and she read a uh, a Bible reading at at our wedding. And they always like to say that when it comes to a husband and wife, each of them has to thank goodness, I got the best end of the deal by being married to my spouse. And I can't believe that they think that they got a good deal by being married to me. And I think that that's a a good way to just be uh, looking at things and and viewing your spouse. For me, it's it's tough to identify in different ways. But I really think um, the chapter about love, titled What is Love? I think that that one is one of the ones that I particularly enjoyed writing because it deals with um, some misconceptions that people have, but also helped us think about and discuss what is it about our relationship that one of the things that's working well. Um, Because like you said, um, love is a choice. Um, but it's not only that. So we talk about love being an emotion. You can feel love, and that's important. That's valuable. Um, that that affection and that attraction and that romance in marriage is very important. We don't want to lose that. But it's also an attitude. 
it's it's I have an attitude of I'm going to be loving. I, I'm going to look at this person in a loving manner and think the best of them. And that attitude is a choice you make every day. You've got to continue to make that choice. And then also love is an action. And clearly the most um, most significant um, action of love, of course, is Christ and what he did for us on the cross. But love, to really be loving in the way that God intends for us to be, it requires action. You can't just think positive thoughts and feel positive feelings. you got to do something about it. So that's something that really continues to speak to me as I think about when we wrote that. That was a lot of fun to write. So I think really valuable. Yeah. And was there a chapter that was hard to write for either of you or both of you? I think this one, we, we both agree on the same chapter that it's tricky to write. And that's the one on gender roles because mm-hmm. it's so divisive yeah. in culture, but also in the church. Um, so many people have ideas on what true biblical masculinity and femininity is. They have these ideas on what this, this is what the Bible says marriage is. And we really spent a lot of time really going into this in Ephesians is really the place that a lot of people go to, to define that and going back and making sure that we were providing a clear understanding of the theology and the intent of Ephesians. So when you get that to that passage where it says, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, you know, at the beginning, what was Paul talking about? Because that's a long logical sequence that he gets to at that point. And that was really hard to honor faith traditions and be honest about the Bible and not not shy away from everything that the Bible says, but also make sure that we're not phrasing things in a way that's going to be disruptive or turn someone off. We want to be very clear. We don't want to keep our language. We want to be gospel and the truth of scripture to be very clear about this. These are the things that we need to grow and develop and possibly change in our own lives, but we want that to come from God's word, not because we said something that was a turnoff to something, but how we phrased it. In dealing with the, the different gender roles, I, I think that a lot of times, you know, the, the truth of God's word, it's always going to upset somebody someplace. So I, I think that we certainly want to, uh, you know, embrace that as just uh, being a truth. But as Brian said, we want to make sure that we're presenting the, the truth in a way that's winsome, that this is what God has uh, for us. And I, I think that just in, in that, whatever roles we're in, we want to make sure that we're doing that to the glory of God, just like everything that we do, we're here to do that uh, to the glory of God. And um, something that I, I thought was interesting is a conversation that I was having when we were about to sell a, a home that we owned. We, we moved out where we are right now about 10 years ago was I had sat down with the realtor and uh, person at the title company. And I was just looking over some paperwork as we lawyers like to do. And Brian wasn't there at the time. And I went through the paperwork and I said, you know what, this is looking good to me, but I want to talk us through with Brian first. And they, they kind of looked at me like, okay, you're the lawyer. What's going on here? And I just said, you know what, I respect my husband and I love my husband and I want to make sure that we're on the same page and I'm just not arbitrarily making this decision, even though the reality is because of my background and training, it makes a lot of sense that we're going to use me as a resource to to know whether or not the legal documents are good or, or not. And what I thought was really cool is the lady at the title company had said to me, you know what, Jennifer, I want you to be my lawyer because I know if you're going to treat your husband that way, you're going to look out for him. You're going to look out for me too. And I just think that that was just a really cool moment 
to be able to uh, reflect God uh, to this uh, woman at the title company and the realtors. So there, there are just moments like that that I think we need to look out for to um, walk in God's truth and, and walk in his ways and be that light to others. Yes, that is absolutely true. And I just, I really appreciated how you handle that whole topic because it, to me, the the phrase speaking truth in love comes to mind because I, you know, it it's apparent that the biblical truth of gender roles in marriage is at the core of, of that whole chapter, you know? And so I, I think that that's important that even if, even if some of the things that come out of that could be controversial or, you know, people could disagree on one hand or another. I just think it's important that you bring up, you know what, go to the Bible, read it in context, make sure you're taking it in the way that it was intended. And, and whether someone comes away agreeing or disagreeing, they're going to look harder. They're going to look harder to see, well, is, is what I've always thought the way that things should always be, or am I somehow wrong in, in the conclusions I've come to? So I just think I love the the biblical backbone of this whole book, you know, is, is very uh, important. And it's something I really appreciate about it. And I think a lot of it too, is look at the gifting of each individual spouse, because I I really am a big proponent of the fact that um, if you're talking about a marriage, if you're talking about a church or a community, everybody brings something to the table. And even if it seems like something that might be more unconventional, really utilize the strength of your spouse, utilize your strength in the marriage too, because that just makes you stronger. And if God has you together, God has you together in mind that you're going to be using these different giftings and skills that each of you have as individuals throughout the course of of your lifetime being married. Well, I was wondering from you, the the two of you, from your perspective, since we are the Praying Christian Women podcast, I wanted to ask you about prayer in your marriage and what role has prayer played in your marriage? And do you have any examples of specific times when God has worked through prayer in your marriage? Well, what I love is um, the theologian Dallas Willard always says that when it comes to prayer, that's talking to God about what we're doing together. And and I think especially when you're bringing your spouse into that, that's just an amazing thing because what is going on uh, within the household, what is going on with children, what is going on with friends and extended family, your church community and your church at large, you know, what, how is God calling us into these different things? So for us, prayer has uh, just been a really significant role. Um, um, not just in our marriage relationship, but also um, in our relationship with our kids as a family. We like to pray together uh, every night before the kids are going to bed, and uh, we um, pray while we're having some dessert. The kids love that, too, and um, we're able to just reflect with them uh, through their day, and we get to, to find out just as we're all praying together um, what are some things that are on their hearts? What are they thankful about? Um, what are they looking forward to? Um, what's on their mind that they're um, asking of God. And I think it's important to certainly pray the little prayers and build that foundation and that relationship with God as things uh, go forward, Um, but also to be able to stand out and pray those very uh, audacious 
theme prayers too. Um, over the weekend, we had some amazing things fall together where um, I'm, I'm sure all the homeowners out there, you can identify with this, our sump pump failed and we're, we've been getting a lot of rain lately, um, but uh, things were able to be laid out in such a way where Brian got one of the last sump pumps that was at the hardware store and he was able to install that with the help of uh, a worker who was already here doing some other repairs to the house. And, you know, God just it seemed to just have everything just fall in place uh, right away. And I think that that's how things can go uh, for uh, the prayer life. Uh, just things will just fall into play. And again, things aren't always smooth sailing, um, but God will ultimately work things out for good. Did, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to add just about our, our uh, life in prayer together? I think it's important, and I'd like just um, people listening, it's something that we had to develop into. We didn't get married and then move in together in day one. It's like praying together was just a natural, this is, this is just what we do. Um, it was something we had to learn about because we had our own prayer lives, our own, our own habits, our own preferences. And it took a bit for us to learn, okay, what does it mean to be a praying couple? We were two praying individuals, but that was an area that we had to grow in. And it took some time. It took, it took a couple of years for us to really figure out. Um, and I think even now we're still learning that more and more as God does things and we change and what's going on in our relationship with each other and God changes. We continue to learn how to be a praying couple as we're praying individuals. Um, and so I think that's important to remember. It's not something that just happens right away. One of my um, favorite stories, um, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. And when he got married, he got married much later in life. And his wife was not a believer when they got married. And they got ready for bed. And then she got in the bed. And he went over to the bed and got down on his knees and started praying. She's like, what are you doing? And they hadn't lived together. She had never seen this part of C.S. Lewis's life. It's like, well, I'm I'm saying my prayers before bed. And is, is that, isn't that going to bother me? And we're going to do this every night. It's like, well, no. And she, I mean, she learned to, that's okay. But it was something. So for them, what was perfectly normal for Lewis and what was perfectly normal for his wife were very different. And those expectations were different and had to grow. And same thing with us um, and for everybody. Your expectations about prayer that you've developed as an individual are things that you need to grow into and figure out what does this mean for us as a couple and how is that going to work? Yeah. And, you know, we were just talking with another couple recently on the podcast who were talking about how their prayer styles are very different. She's much more um, demonstrative and loud and speaks out loud, even when they're praying silently together, he's very quiet, very reserved. And, and they were talking about how they, they had to come up with, a, you know, they had to, to figure out how to pray together and for it to work. And it really, um, you know, because everyone is so different, it's not like you're just going to have this cookie cutter picture of what it looks like to pray together in marriage. And I think that just like you had talked about in gender roles, you know, when you're talking about prayer together and, and blending your spiritual lives together as a couple, there's a lot of freedom. It doesn't have to look the same. It doesn't have to be, you know, wrapped up with a tidy bow, you know? And so I think that that is, uh, that's a really good point about how it doesn't just happen. And, and to be a like, quote, good Christian couple, 
if it doesn't come easily initially, it's okay. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you're not spiritual enough, or if it feels awkward, or if you don't even know where to begin, it's okay. So I'm just wondering, you know, since you had talked about how you want this book is kind of geared towards someone in the three to 10 year range, that's already kind of married, gotten into some, you know, gotten into some territory, but, but needs some preventative maintenance or measures. What would you say to the couple that has been married for those three to 10 years and maybe has already established some patterns, but prayer together is not one of them. Like, would you, what are some first steps that you might offer them if they are looking specifically to develop more spiritual intimacy together? Well, I I think the big thing is, and and here's a lawyer judo tip against the enemy right here, which is, um, if, if you've got Satan coming at you saying something about you that's happened in your past, um, that's true. And you know, he, he might be saying you have not prayed together over the last 10 years or three years or whatever that is. You agree with him. You say, yes, that's true. And then you add these two words, but God. So God's mm-hmm. going to come in there and you're going to make a plan with God as to how you're going to start to um, make prayer priority in your marriage. And it might be something that's awkward to start off with, just like anything else that, that you'd be doing might be a little awkward at the very beginning. Um, like if you're learning to play a sport or play a musical instrument and you have to uh, embrace the idea of we might make some mistakes early on. Um, I, I love at the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the movie, you've got Rufus saying of Bill and Ted with these new instruments that they're playing that are awful they do get better. So think that God's going to be saying that uh, for you about your prayer life individually or with your spouse so that you can um, come in there and just start to establish some patterns. Um, Maybe for you and your spouse, depending on the religious background you come uh, out of, it might be good to just say the Lord's Prayer, say the Our Father um, together as a starting point. And for us just in um, teaching our kids how to pray it's like, let, let's get in here and then let's talk about what we're grateful for um, from God. Um, let's all also talk together about uh, what we'd like to ask God for. And it's neat to see that grow in our kids. And it's neat to see that, I think, uh, grow in each other through the years. But I think some of it is start small, um, maybe commit to a schedule as to when we're going to pray. Is that going to be something we're doing every morning or every evening? Um, is that something that we're we're going to start doing on Sundays only and then maybe add to it as time goes on? Um, but I just want to give a lot of encouragement to, to folks who are listening to this that, um, yes, you can start praying together and uh, don't be discouraged about it. Take it to God and he's going to be cheering you on uh, all the way along as I know the three of us are going to be doing too. And I think um, really, like Jen said, first and foremost, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you're not where you feel that you want to be, if you're not there, that's okay. Guilt is not of God. Guilt is of Satan. Satan only. God is never going to make you feel guilty or look down on you. Uh, With that said, John Ortberg wrote a a book called Celebration of Discipline. And he describes the spiritual disciplines. And one of the things he said, truly stuck with me. I read this um, before I even went to seminary. I was reading this book. And he said that, the spiritual disciplines are training for holiness. And what how we define training is doing today what I can do today so that I can do tomorrow what I can't do today. And so, for instance, for a couple, maybe today the only thing you can do 
is say grace over dinner before before you eat it. Maybe just thanking God for that meal. Maybe that's the one thing you can do today because getting into what's going on in your prayer, like what's going on with you and God, maybe you can't do that today. Start with doing what you can do today and then be persistent. The more you do that, that's going to allow you to be able to do something different tomorrow. And don't give up. Just like physical fitness, if, you, if you're going to go do push-ups, if you can only do 10 push-ups today, do 10 push-ups today. And then keep doing those 10. And then a week, maybe you can do 11. Maybe you can do 12. Praying, just, hey, thank you, God, for this food you provided for us today. And then keep doing that and don't give up. And then over time, the Holy Spirit will prompt you and encourage you to move forward into the next thing and do that together and just be faithful. The results are all God's. The Holy Spirit is the one who does results. Our job is only faithfulness. Results are not something that we're responsible for and never has been. Um, so just do what you're responsible for. Be faithful and let God be the reference. That's so freeing. I love that. And I love looking at our spiritual lives and our prayer lives and every aspect of it as exercise, because it really is. It's, it's this idea of incremental, you know, in, incremental uh, increase in the, uh, the things that we do and the way that we do them and forming habits little by little and sticking with them and not giving up when we feel like we failed and, and getting rid of the ditching the guilt. Cause that can be a huge barrier. I just feel like the whole journey of, of our spiritual lives is just riddled with ways that the enemy can use our humanness against us. And, and I loved what Jennifer said, but God acknowledge the truth. Don't deny it. Don't say, Oh yeah, well, you know, it doesn't matter that we haven't prayed all those years. It, it really, who needs that anyway, you know, but acknowledge, yeah, you know what, we haven't done this. And I kind of wish that we had, um, but God and, and to focus that, you know, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And that is that freedom that we get. And, I, I just, yeah, I love that. I love that focus. Um, so what I, I really enjoyed in the last chapter, you talk about what you call the most effective tactic in the operation. And that is, that's a, that's a bold statement. And I want to know what is that tactic? I know, cause I read it, but uh, can you share with our listeners, what is the most effective tactic in the operation and why is it so important for a healthy, thriving marriage? Absolutely. We put that at the end on purpose. There's a lot of things that are valuable tactics to make your marriage thrive, improving your communication, dealing with expectations, dealing with conflict. But none of those are going to be worth a fill of beans if you do not forgive. Forgiveness is essential. Um, the reality is two people getting married, two imperfect people getting married, they're still two imperfect people. Sin is still a reality. Um, we have power over sin. We have the power to defeat sin. But you look at Paul. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was struggling with sin in his flesh throughout that time. And we're going to. And that's a normal experience. And that's okay. Because the only thing that's not healthy is not learning from it. Learn from it. It's okay. Things happen. But in your relationship, you will have to forgive. Because the person that you're married to is not God. They're not perfect. And guess what? They're married to someone who's not God either. And they're going to have to forgive you too. You're going to screw up. And that's okay. Just move past it and learn to forgive. That is 
the most important thing. If you want to be a good Christian wife, you want to be a good Christian husband, you want to be a good Christian couple, it means be good Christians. Do what God taught us to do. Be more like Christ every day. Focus on how can I be more like Jesus today? How can I be less selfish and more loving? And the big thing, the biggest barrier to forgiveness that I've experienced, and when I talk to people in marriage, the biggest barrier to forgiveness, the reason they can't forgive is their own selfishness. Mm-hmm. We don't want to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, that something happened and that was hurt. That hurt me and it was painful. And forgiveness acknowledges that. If you don't acknowledge the pain and the hurt that was caused, then you're not really forgiving. You're just ignoring. Got to acknowledge and address, hey, when, when this happened, this action, these things were hurtful. Uh, but I'm not going to hold that against you because I love you. And we're going to grow through this together. And we're going to work on a plan to make sure that we are, we make this marriage the safest thing, the safest relationship we have other than our relationship with God. Without forgiveness, there is no way your marriage will ever thrive. Yeah, I actually just, you know, in the last couple of years, I, I've sort of realized after 20 years of marriage that I used to think that I was a really forgiving person, that it was really easy for me to forgive. And what I've discovered is I just don't like conflict. So when my husband does something that I don't like, I just move on, you know, we'll have a a, a conflict and, and we'll just move on. I don't hold hold grudges. I don't do the silent treatment. You know, I've never been that kind of person. So I think I'm, I'm good at forgiving, but what the Lord has revealed to me recently is you know what, if, if you really examine like the pain, the, the, the offense, it, it still comes up in the back of your mind. You, you're holding on to it. You're not letting it go and you're waiting for it. And so what would happen is I would move past these things very quickly without really wanting to discuss them or without wanting to really get into it and just let it go for selfish reasons, because I did not like the conflict but I wasn't addressing it. I wasn't acknowledging the pain. I wasn't talking about it. And I wasn't engaging in conversation to bring healing. I was avoiding it. So that was profound. And so that whole thing of forgiveness, you can have on the one hand, the person that, that, that makes very vocal their displeasure and holds the grudge and does the silent treatment. But then you can have this, you know, sneaky unforgiveness, which feels like forgiveness because you're treating that person well, and it looks like everything's good on the surface, but there's been no acknowledgement of that pain. And that is damaging, maybe even more so than the other kind, because it's not even out there and your poor spouse doesn't even know it's an issue. (laughs) So I feel like, uh, yeah, that's, that's it's it's more, yeah, Uh, whether it's more of an internal thing or again, an external kind of thing, it's, it's just important to not marinade in, in that hurt and the anger and the unforgiveness because that can just ultimately become so toxic if you just let that fester. And the reason that I, I like to use that term marinade and of course if you're marinating it, you know, chicken or whatever kind of meat in a marinade, it just changes it and it can't be extracted. But Ooh. God, so God's going to be able That's to good. take that out even if you've marinated in it. But 
don't give the devil a foothold. Don't marinate in that to begin with. And it's, it's uh, a, a way to uh, make sure that you stay healthy. But again, you make those mistakes. If you marinate it, you, you go to Jesus, you go to your spouse and make sure that that's um, resolved because you, you just don't want that to fester. You don't want that to be a barrier uh, to your marriage. You don't want that to be a barrier to your relationship with God to be in that unforgiveness. And to bring this kind of full circle, that's one of those little boxes. That's one of those things that seems like, hey, I'm doing well. I'm moving forward and everything. It becomes bigger. And if it doesn't get addressed, then it's no longer a little box. It was eating really well for all those years. And now it's a big fat box that's harder to catch and harder to deal with. Oh, yeah. Well, what would you say is your, we're running out of time and I, I, I loved, I'd love to continue the conversation, but I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I've got just a couple more questions. What, what is your biggest struggle? Would you say as a married couple and your answers might be different? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I would say some, sometimes it's just about um, making sure that the schedules are, are good to go. Um, just as far as what we're doing kind of work-wise and with the kids and, and just different things in ministry. And we, we've been very committed um, to not overloading our schedules because I think that we as Americans have the tendency to do that. Um, so I, I think just making sure that we're um, certainly making space um, to uh, have a, a lot of time where we can be together as a couple, be together as a family, and not be rushing all around all the time. Um, I, I think that that's valuable because sometimes good things can get in the way uh, of the better things, which is not being frantic. Mm, good point. I can totally relate to that. For me, and, I think um, yeah. the biggest thing for, for marriage for me, um, being in ministry of 20 years, I've got a um, ministry degree and everything. I'm still tempted to put Jen in the wrong. She can't do because she's not God and try to elevate her to a place. And then in that, I'm thinking, oh, I'm being a good husband. I'm putting her needs and I'm trying to put her, make sure that she is the most important relationship. Well, she is, she is the second most important relationship and she has to be. And when I am tempted, when I make bad decisions and put her in the wrong place, then things fall apart. And that's a, that's a temptation for me still. And it's something that I have to constantly um, address and conflicts that we've had. It turns out she's like, things happen. It's because I wasn't keeping God in the right place. And then when Jen wasn't God, I was upset about it. It's like, well, silly. Get, imagine, imagine what was going on there. So for, in our marriage, that's my probably biggest struggle is just making sure that I don't let that temptation seize me and push through that, make sure I keep, keep God where he belongs. That is so important because it can masquerade as a good thing. Like, oh, well, yeah, you're putting your spouse up first and putting that, putting that person in this place of honor, you know, and that's just one of those areas where Satan can twist the truth just a little bit, you know, and, um, and, and yeah, definitely kind of dethroning God never works. And, and I could definitely see where that could, it's, it just seems ironic that, there's a, a place where you could put your spouse up too high and, and that it wouldn't be the right thing. That's just one of those, I guess, kind of, I don't know, uh, paradoxes, you know, that God and con not contradictions, you know, just, uh, godly wisdom being contrary to what the world might 
might say. And it kind of makes sense that that could even be one of the ways that, that Satan deconstructs marriages and, and dismantles marriages is when that marriage, not when the marriage is ignored too much, but maybe even when it's, you know, when that, that relationship is elevated to a status it was never meant to hold and to carry. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, where can listeners find your book and connect with you guys online or on social media, wherever you like to hang out? Oh, certainly. Well, um, uh, just as far as uh, the book is concerned, it's called Operation Thriving Marriage. So we've got this uh, here. So like Brian said, there's no flowers on the cover. Um, but uh, the website that the you listeners can go to is operationthrivingmarriage.com. And uh, you can get the book anywhere where books are sold. So certainly Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and you can order it on Walmart's website. We just found that out recently, um, Books a Million. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to kind of connect with you that way. And um, I'm Jennifer Harvey, so you can plug in to say Facebook, Jennifer Harvey, Ann Arbor's uh, first name, which is, it's Brian, but it's B-R-Y-O-N. So Brian Harvey. Um, and again, in, in Ann Arbor as well. Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook. Um, we're not we're not all over social media. We've been advised, hey, you should do more with Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah, that's too much work. I'm not doing yeah. that. Um, but certainly you can find us on Facebook and um, the website. You can contact us through the website and we will respond as quickly as we can. Love talking to anyone with resource for churches and to make marriages thrive give people the opportunity to have thriving marriages throughout um, Christianity. And so any way we can help people or churches, we'd be happy to. And we really want to be a resource just as far as um, we're, we're happy, as Brian said, to talk to folks. And uh, just just as far as, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to even do some traveling. We're going to be off to Texas uh, uh, in, in a couple of months and uh, looking forward to that. And certainly happy to, to be speaking at uh, churches and retreats and resourcing folks, especially we're all excited about that coming out of the pandemic, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's it's so nice to be kind of inching forward in in being able to get back to doing some of the things that we didn't get we didn't get to do for so long. It's it's definitely good. So yes. Well, how can we pray for you today? And I'll close us in prayer. So I think for the so for the listeners, we were prepared in advance for this question, so we knew it was coming. One of the things that um. I've been thinking about really is if you guys could be praying for how we can follow God and what he's doing with Operation Thriving Marriage with the book and being a resource um, that we would listen to him and that he would open the right doors and that we would have the wisdom to see which doors are the right doors and move through those so that we can make a positive difference. That's our primary goal. Really would like to pray for that. And I think just, just really, you know, fulfilling just in um, marriage ministry and, and helping couples and, uh, whatever uh, capacity that would be. But um, really, just as we were talking, um, I, the Holy Spirit has, has spoken to me and, and just uh, asking that you would also pray for uh, couples who uh, might be having some struggles or, or the beginning of some struggles that, that uh, they would be working together to catch those little foxes and to stop those from growing into bigger problems and, and to give people um, the faith to step out and the courage to approach uh, their spouses if there's any issues that need to be talked through and that that would be um, received well and uh, that, that God would heal marriages that, that need some help there. And, and the, the big thing that I've been looking at in, in reading into John 
we all know that God's the healer. There's some aspect of their life or their marriage that's dead. I, I pray that uh, God would bring life to that. Oh, that's a beautiful picture. Well, I will pray all of those things for you. And thank you, Brian and Jennifer, for taking time to talk with us about marriage and just for your heart to bring healing and resurrection to marriages. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this time together with Brian and Jennifer. Thank you for their calling. Thank you for just the, the way that you have orchestrated their lives um, to equip each one of them with unique gifts that together can just bring so much uh, encouragement, wisdom, inspiration, and ultimately healing and even resurrection to marriages. Lord, we just lift the two of them up um, as a couple. We pray that you would just protect their marriage from attack. I'm sure that they are a target because of their work in your kingdom. And we just pray that you would protect their marriage against any of the enemy's attacks or lies, that you would continue to help them to see clearly um, in their own marriages as they help others, that, that they would be able to see their own marriage clearly and that that would not fall by the wayside as they expend energy to help others and, and do the ministry that you've called them to, God, that this ministry would actually bring them even closer together, would actually help their marriage to grow and to flourish in ways that it, it wouldn't have if they hadn't been pouring themselves out. Um, and I can just see how you've already done that, God, even just writing this book seems like it's just helped them to just work out things and examine things in their, in their own marriage and, and just to grow. And we just thank you for that. God, you are, you're a God of abundance. And, and we just thank you that even as we pour out that, that we're being poured into by that spring of living water that never runs dry. And we just pray that over them, God, that your, your living water would be filling them and filling them and filling them as they pour out. We just pray that you would give them wisdom to see the next steps that you have for them, God, after this book, that you would open doors, um, that your voice would be the loudest, that, that you would silence all of the other voices that are telling them what to do, even little things like Instagram, Lord, I just, I pray that that um, that you would not let them feel like they have to conform to what everyone else is doing, that you would just call them to very specific tasks and, and that it would be so clear to them which doors to go through and which doors to keep closed. We pray that you would um, bless and anoint this book and just that it would go out and reach so many more people than they could ever ask or imagine, that lives would be impacted, that salvations would happen, that marriages would be mended, that marriages would be resurrected. Um, God, we just, we thank you for, for the words in the book and, and just for the principles and the scripture and, and the wisdom that you've just encapsulated in it. And we pray your blessing on it as it goes out. And God, we just pray um, as, as Jennifer requested, God, we pray for, for the, the woman listening who's in a marriage that is broken or even dead. Um, for anyone out there that that has a this book in their hand or needs to get the book into their hand who has a broken marriage or, or a dead marriage, God, that you would help them to um, to just be restored. You're a redeemer, God. You're you're a restorer. You're a God where there are no lost causes. And we just pray that you would just infuse marriages with your power and that you would just break the enemy's 
attempts at, at destroying and robbing marriages of their joy. And we do pray for those little foxes, God, just that, that people listening and those that read this book would just be alert to, to those, those little foxes that go under the radar sometimes, and that they would, they would see them and trap them and take them captive and just use your word and the principles in this book to, um, to strengthen their marriages, God, to, to uproot anything that's, that's going to cause damage in the long run so that they can just glorify you in marriage. Thank you, God. We know that you will do these things and we believe them in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show. And we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him 